Hey guys, welcome to Debrief. This is our Debrief after the episode with uh, David, Hannemeyer, Hansen, DHH, another uh, three, th- I, I guess, a th- three-letter name here. Um, <laughs> does and, not uh, go by Dave, apparently. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't know him that well. But he, he's someone I've followed for a while, David. And he's someone that I figured would be in this space a lot faster than they actually can. So like, there's a class of people who I respect a lot that mm-hmm. are outside of crypto and respected prior to crypto that are advocates of maybe I'll say shared values like open source, mm-hmm. futurist, technology, mm-hmm. um, rebels, mm-hmm. right? Like um, care deeply about fundamental rights, it aren't suits. Like DHH to me was is all of those things. And so I somewhat expected him to come to crypto way sooner. And I'm always surprised when I wouldn't even call like DHH is not sort of a Silicon Valley person. He's sort of been outside of Silicon Valley, kind of doing his own thing Mm -hmm. with Silicon Valley type tools, like rebel style. And it's like, why aren't you in crypto, man? I've never understood it, but I've never gone deep, you know, to, to actually hear his criticisms and why he wasn't. So I am excited that he is now in crypto and now understands what many of us have been saying about why this is valuable from a fundamentals perspective, that this is a key civic liberty for the 21st century. Uh, but at the same time, I'm kind of surprised that that like people like him don't get it sooner. Do you do you share that surprise? Like, are there a, a set of people that that you're like, well, you should be in crypto if you believe these things. Why aren't you in crypto already? Yeah, the obvious one that comes to mind, I think, is Nicholas Taleb, or no, Nassim Taleb. Nassim uh, Taleb, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he a lot of his work is referenced by Bitcoiners as like in generally people in crypto about like this is why crypto works like anti-fragility and organic systems and convexity versus concavity like we speak the same language as Nassim Taleb and he hates bitcoin <laughs> so much and so like what each one of these individuals represents like a case study when they do actually finally become crypto a crypto person, assuming that they all eventually do at some point in crypto's trajectory, every single one represents a case study as why you weren't a crypto person earlier and what made you become a crypto person now. Well, let's dissect that a little bit more because you know another one uh, for me is uh, Ray Dalio. Now, Ray mm. Dalio has warmed a little bit on crypto, yeah. but still. Was he ever cold? He was not completely cold like I hate crypto, yeah. right? But... It was surprising he was not all in crypto, given everything that he believes about macro and big right. cycles and like debt cycles and sovereignty of like nations, all of these things. He's like laid it out very clearly. And then his like TLDR is, so you should buy gold. Right. I'm like, oh. I th- <laughs> I, I'm Almost. ready to chalk that one up to a, ge- a generational thing. Like Ray okay. Dalio is pretty old. That's true. That's true. But let's, well, so is the seem to lab. I mean, he's, yeah. not, he's not a young guy. But anyway, what are these case studies? Like, why? Why are Nassim Taleb's of the world, why are the DHHs of the world uh, missing it? Does it have to do with, I feel like it has to do with um, the presentation of crypto culture that mm. they've seen so far. Yeah. Like, they don't want to be associated with the number goes up tribe who 
can't accept any shred of doubt, who is not open to any uh, like debate about a subject. Right. And like, if those are the only crypto people you experience, maybe it's sort of a cultural block where you're just like, I don't want to be associated with these people. Right. I don't like. I don't want to be associated with this technology. I am not a Bitcoiner. I don't have laser eyes. I don't believe that Bitcoin is going to solve like everything in the world as mm. these people do. And so I want to distance myself away from them. Do you think it's that? Maybe, maybe a little bit. The, what, what comes to mind for me is that like every people that come into the crypto industry and get like crypto pilled, it's a one way flow of people, right? Like no one really comes into crypto goes down the rabbit hole and then goes like, nah, not for me. At least no, no one that I've, I've heard of. And so maybe like the rebel property actually as, as crypto's at like an inflection point where like being a rebel actually works against us because of how one way the flow of people are because like everyone's going into the world of crypto. Therefore it maybe it's like the rebellious thing to not do that. Like maybe that worked to bootstrap or to bootload this whole industry, but now like it's actually rebellious to not be crypto. Like maybe it's the new counterculture is to to be a crypto hater at this point. Like maybe that's the new rebellious thing to to fall in line with. But also at, at some point, like I think it's just a matter of luck. Like I I think it maybe it's perhaps becoming more and more rare for the lone wolf to stumble upon a blog post and then go down the crypto rabbit hole. Mm. Yeah, where that used to be the case prior to twenty seventeen. Used to be the case, you kind of discovered it on your own. Without on your hearing own, like, it from stun- like else. I first saw Bitcoin by on like I was bored on stumble upon, and I was yeah. just like stumbling upon, it and the Bitcoin white paper came up, and that was my first exposure to Bitcoin. There was now, no like crazy kid in your family who was telling right. you at Thanksgiving to go right. buy this thing, right? Now, now you everyone person, has like but... a crypto friend, yeah. like or at least a, or a handful of them, and so and, and it really takes a trusted source, a trusted like friend who with data and information that you can rely on is like, okay, that's real for people to go down the crypto rabbit hole these days. And I think just at some point it's a luck of a draw. Like, do you have somebody in your local environment that can appropriately explain crypto in a way that makes sense to you? And usually it takes a friend to do that. And more and more these days, people have friends to do that, but sometimes people don't. And maybe DHH didn't have the second in command, the comrade to help explain crypto to him. But here's the thing. Maybe maybe that's the case. But here's the thing. I also feel like um, DHH's network, like he's probably got tons of people who, like us, he's been close to and are like, hey, DHH, I just want to tell you about this. Like, just, just listen for a second. But like his point was, I think he said this almost explicitly. There's nothing you could have done to convince me. When we asked him, like, how could we have done this as an, like as a community better? How could we have um, explained this better to you and educated this uh, you about this earlier? And he's like, there's nothing you could have done. I needed a catalyst. I needed to actually see it. And that brings me back to like this, um, you know, this theme that I was talking about in our last debrief, which is like this Zen. Mm-hmm. Is I feel much less of a need to like go and evangelize and talk to my friend, talk to my family about this. Like we're doing the bankless thing and they can, if you want to check out what we're doing, I mean, go listen to a podcast, go check out a newsletter. But in my real life social circles, I, I haven't, I don't feel compelled at all to try to convince someone because what I know will happen is some event will happen over the next 10 years, whether it's some new use case that they finally click onto, an NFT that they really want or something, or their, their favorites, you know, their favorite um, influencers just launched something or video games, something like this, or it'll be like a, 
uh, a news economic event, like the Canadian mm -hmm. trucker freezing bank accounts was for DHH, a catalyst will hit them. Right. And then they'll come and they'll ask questions about it, or they'll go mm -hmm. listen to a bankless podcast. But like, I don't feel like a need to push out the evangelism. They'll come. They just need to be hit with that catalyst to convince them first. Do you feel that? Yeah. One of the most savage quotes that I've heard in a long time, and I feel bad for like really, really liking this quote, <laughs> is that... Uh, it's a debrief. It's okay. Yeah. Is that the line is that uh, you buy Bitcoin at the price that you deserve. <laughs> which, is, which is a line from Bitcoiners, as in like, yo, Bitcoiners if you, are so harsh that way. They're so you know, harsh. Like, <laughs> like, they're not you, always wrong, though. If you, they're really not. Like, if you saw the potential of Bitcoin in 2010, and you aped your entire life savings into Bitcoin in 2010, you deserve that. Like, you took that risk. You saw something that no one else saw, and you saw a future that no one else can see, and you used your imagination to and extrapolate. Then you and then you held. And so you deserve that. And if and then later, if it's 2025 and three liberal democracies have frozen bank accounts and you have to buy Bitcoin at a half a million dollar price tag because you didn't get it until you, you got, got your bank account frozen, yeah. that's the price that you deserve. Like you are- You got all it, of these opportunities. You, like the now, world you, telling you, you don't look. get the, the cheap price of Bitcoin before Western democracies start canceling bank accounts, <laughs> like you don't, you only get to pick one of those two things. Uh, and so, like, I, I just love this. It's such a savage quote. As is like, if I, if you haven't figured it figured it out by now, you're gonna buy these crypto assets at a price that has all the risk priced away from it. And it that's just the way it's going to be. And I think, look, I think that applies to people who are like, you know, well-positioned futurists in Western democracies. Obviously, if you're in, you know, some place in rural India and you don't have access to the internet, like, you know, you, you don't deserve to miss out on Bitcoin gains. But like, right. I, I, I totally get the point. And it's a savage quote. Let me give you another savage quote because uh, this is from a, a Bitcoiner, uh, Nick Carter. Mm -hmm. um, he said this, deeply amused, and you brought this up, David, deeply amused by the fact that Bitcoin critics need to witness financial oppression happen here in order to recognize its values. Just not quite as pervasive when it happens to the global south, is it? Right. Right. That kind of came to mind as we were mm -hmm. talking uh, with, with DHH. Um, what do you think he meant by this? Yeah, it's just a matter of can you fill in the gaps in people's imaginations that can't do it themselves? Like, you just need to have a, an example close to home that lets you know what the future of the world uh, looks like. Like, a, a, a lot of governments are all fit into all the same mold, no matter where they are in the world and what, at what scale they are. Uh, and so, like, sometimes when we see corners of the world that are very, very far away from home falling apart, like, that's like you saw the first domino fell, but people are missing the fact that you can see a, a thousand dominoes ahead and that you're like a thousandth in line. Just because the first one is a thousand dominoes away doesn't mean it's not coming for you. And so like when we, when we talk about this world going through a chaotic decade and some far off uh, governments in some far off land are experiencing hyperinflation, therefore they're committing capital controls, therefore they're freezing bank accounts and preventing, you know, you know, like Argentines are being prevented from being able to buy dollars and they have to buy pesos instead. Like, yeah, that's like 50 dominoes away, but you know it's coming. Yeah. Like, it, it, Ray, this is exactly what Ray Dalio's uh, talking about in his book where like the inflation is like the last big phase before the generalized downfall of an empire. 
And we're seeing inflation happen right now. Like the dominoes are not that far away. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I think I like the way he he sort of phrased it as a as a pressure release valve kind mm-hmm. of thing, as some insurance, like almost like a Second Amendment rights insurance, yeah. right, against your government going going rogue. Like you, you want you want to hold some Bitcoin in case every the world goes crazy and they start just arbitrarily freezing bank accounts. And it does feel like now that this power has been unlocked, um, both at the nation state level, but then also like nation states to their own citizens. So it's like nation state to nation state to nation state to citizen. There's going to be a lot more of it. It's like everyone wants to freeze everyone else's bank account these days, right? right? And so like you do kind of need this insurance. But the other thing that struck me is like, I guess twofold. Oh my God, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners are amazing evangelists still. Like the Bitcoin community, the Bitcoin maximalist community, like they're... They spend all their time on this, right? Yeah, and like they do, they do move the needle. They do move the needle, and for, for not for all people. Some people get into crypto via NFTs. Some people buy Ethereum, other means. But like Bitcoin is still a big way people uh, get to crypto, and this is the way DHH has gotten to crypto. And it also struck me how early he is in his journey still. Right. So he's just like <laughs> barely passed through the gateway of like okay, mm-hmm. now I understand why this self-sovereign money thing is important. Now I understand the need for decentralization. He hasn't even touched DeFi. Right. Like when we brought up Uniswap, I don't think he knows what Uniswap is yet, man. No. And, you know, so so he's so early in the journey, but it was still Bitcoin where right. he came to first. Yeah, he, he brought up uh, about like, oh yeah, I've, I've always like thought that the congestion and the fees were an issue, but I heard about this thing called the Lightning Network, so I'm yeah. going to go play around with that. Yeah. And like <laughs> in, in my head, I was like, don't shit on the Lightning Network. Don't shit on the no, Lightning no, no, Network. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can't. It's just, you got to meet everyone where they are, right? right. And, uh-huh. and then so like it's, it's too early to talk about layer twos right. and you know scalability and alternative layer like it's just a whole uh-huh. it's a multi-year journey he's not ready for that yet <laughs> he's not ready not ready for that yet but i think if he's if he continues to be curious he'll get mm-hmm. there that's the, that's the other thing is i honestly i think he would say this himself he's you know pr- pretty humble about it in uh, in the episode i don't think he was curious enough about crypto yeah i think yeah. i think that's why he didn't um he, he saw sort of a tribe and a culture he didn't identify with. He had some object, objections and he wasn't curious, curious enough to dig deeper. And yeah. that's why he kind of hit a wall. And he's a Bitcoin now, but like to go to the next step, you, you have to continue to be curious right. to go deeper and deeper. Yeah, it's one thing to accept the properties of Bitcoin for what they are as valuable. Um, but then that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to become a Bitcoiner, right? Like, doesn't mean you're in the community. Yeah. Like, he's given Bitcoin the thumbs up, but like the Bitcoin community is still a hard community to exist inside of. Like, not everyone can can do that. Um, I'm hopeful that he that, that that's why so many people end up migrating towards the Ethereum community because it's just so much more welcoming, uh, and there's also much more things to do. There's more rabbit holes to go down, so maybe a different rabbit hole actually finds some, he, he finds resonance with, um, or or maybe he like he said like he said uh, crypto doesn't need I, and I actually I think he said he hopes that crypto isn't the only financial platform that we have like we're still going to have our legacy centralized fiat money systems and. You know, honestly, the, I don't. We don't want to eliminate those things either. I, at least I personally don't. And the, talking about the escape valve out of crypto, like 
if banks know that if they freeze your bank account, you're just going to go do crypto stuff instead, and in, yep. therefore they don't, that's yep. a huge W for crypto. Totally. It's like, we and don't for need, everyone. And for everyone, yeah. We don't need the whole entire world to onboard onto crypto. We need to, to offer an exit, an escape valve for everyone to do that if the time ever comes. And that puts a huge check on our legacy systems to make them... Uh, reflect crypto values anyways. It's like, no, we're n- we are not going to freeze your bank account because you have the escape hatch anyways. Therefore, your finances are a little bit more self-sovereign. They're a little bit more independent. They're a little bit more crypto-like because the crypto escape hatch is ready for you if we ever do get authoritarian. Well, so the, the, maybe that's, a, that maybe that's the, the long-term legacy of the traditional system. I think, so. I th- I think it can be too. And the, the same point was made. Do you remember our conversation with uh, uh, Eric Peters, the institutional investor? Mm-hmm. He was just basically like, hey, worst case scenario, uh, these inflation hedges, hedges like Bitcoin and Ethereum, these kind of hard money, non-sovereign assets, they'll keep central banks in check. It's like, mm-hmm. guy, you can't just inflate away your fiat currencies. Why? Because mm-hmm. your citizens will go store their money somewhere else right. in a place you can't stop, a place that's decentralized, unless you want to like remove all civil liberties from you, 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 you know your, your entire country. You can't stop these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so- But also yeah. Ray Dalio in his book t- says that governments end up doing that, removing civil liberties. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, I- um, I do think some will do that quicker than others, but that's why, like, I actually think that what what uh, DHH doesn't know is we're maybe further along than he thinks we are Mm -hmm. with it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he you know he was talking about um, exchanges being a a centralization vector for all of this, and um, I mean, not if you're using Uniswap, right? Not if you're using DeFi. Uh, If if we get to a place where we are, have rebuilt the financial system, everything we need in DeFi, then we don't actually need to cross back over the bridge into the fiat world, right? We don't need an off-ramp. <laughs> There's just an on-ramp, and that's it. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it is important, I think, and I, I do think uh, we're further along than he thinks. We didn't get to talk about identity. It seems like he has a kind of a dim view of NFTs, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get there, or maybe they just won't be for him, and he just won't buy them. We'll see. Fine. Crypto will positively impact his life either way. There you go. Anything else you got? Uh, Nothing for me. That was it, guys. Thanks for hanging with us in the debrief.